welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. My guest today is Audrey Mugheni Mamouli. Audrey is the co-founder of Femicide Count Kenya. This is an initiative that started as a Facebook page reporting on the number of women and girls who have died from femicide and has since become a registered organization. Femicide Count Kenya is an organization that aims at creating a national database on the deaths of women caused by violence and bringing to light the rates of femicide. Audrey is a professional in non-governmental programming in national, regional, and global interventions for marginalized communities facing gender-based violence and war. She got into this profession close to 10 years ago when she decided to study social work at university. She had a front row seat to the marginalization of girls and women in her community. For the past few years, she has been developing her expertise in gender mainstreaming of programs in organizations, protection, and safeguarding of underserved, vulnerable women and children. She has strengthened her capacity in grant management and program planning, growing her talent in mentorship and the development of organizations. She is passionate about her work out in the field, continually expanding her work experience in national and international settings, as well as earning an MA in gender and development. Hi, Audrey. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman. How are you today? How are you this I'm evening? I'm doing very well, thank you. <laughs> I, oh, yes, it's evening for it's me. It's evening I'm for doing you. Very well, thank you. Good. Yes, it is. That's awesome. Yeah. So thank you for coming on the show. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I have some questions for you, so let's get started. Um, so you were born okay. and raised in Nairobi, Kenya. And you you came yes, from I was. you came from a large family. Um, how many siblings do you have? <laughs> um, eighteen. Eighteen. Oh 18, my gosh! Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah. so how was it like? What was it like growing up with eighteen siblings in Nairobi? Um, it was it was fun. It yeah. was fun. Um, it was also sometimes very chaotic, but I'd say chaotic for my parents because we were we were we were. Can I say a bit naughty? You know, with sure. so many kids, there's oh sure. <laughs> yeah, you behave. They behave a bit like rascals. <laughs> so we were a bit naughty. So it was chaotic for my parents. That I can say. But then growing up in Nairobi, at that particular time, we were not really 18. Mm-hmm. But then, um, yeah, as a child, um, I can say we were around 10 at the time. Mm-hmm. That, that was before I joined high school. And um, as I've said, it was a bit fun. It was a lot of fun for us, the children. Mm-hmm. Um, very chaotic for my parents. And um, because we were growing up in the city, it meant we were going to city schools. And it also meant that... Um, um, we were living in city houses and, you know, being in the city, the houses are not very big. So it means that um, there was a lot of the space. There wasn't a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And so you can imagine what sort of chaos was going on because um, the house is the house is not as big. But then there are many children in that particular house. So, right. yeah. There's right. a lot of chaos in the house, yeah. Yeah, um, would spend a lot of time playing, spend also a lot of time watching TV. So mm-hmm. all these things would go hand in hand, yeah. Okay. I, I read that you said that you grew up fast. What did you mean by that? Oh, yeah, because um, 
Um, I'm an older sibling, so ah. I'm the second born. Uh-huh. I'm the second born. And yeah, for being an older sibling, that basically meant that you were also part of the raising up of the other children. So for me, I had to grow up very, very fast. And mm. I had to be there for all of my other siblings. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. you studied social work at Catholic University of South Africa. Um East what, Africa. East Africa. Africa. I'm sorry. East Africa. Yes. What yeah. drew you to social yeah. work? So um this is um this is I I say I got into social work. Can I say um I just found myself at the right place at the right time? Sure. Because mm-hmm. I was meant to study law. I was meant oh. to study law. Uh-huh. And when I went to register for when I went to register for law classes uh-huh. still at the Catholic University, I was told I was late. I was really late and I was told that um I couldn't be able to register. So one of my friends was also a student there and he told me do this why don't you study social work as like what's that hmm. like um sent me to the social science department which i went and registered for uh-huh. and um i got called in and then i went for classes and you know i sat there the first day and everything just resonated with me hmm. but then now to be a social work student mm-hmm. we had to go after the first semester, our first year, first semester, we had to write a letter to the mm-hmm. department that we wanted to study social work, mm-hmm. then sit for an interview, and then now be invited for an interview, sit for an interview, and then now you'd be told you are, um, then now you'd be a social work student. Okay. And because I had been sitting in the social sciences classes, and I liked everything that was going on because we were discussing social issues mm-hmm. and I'm very vocal when it comes to social issues. Right. Um, I had, I, I watched the news growing up. Uh-huh. I read the newspapers growing up and this, these are things that I was still doing even that particular time. Right. And for me, I just realized this is a space that I want to be in. Mm-hmm. And so it came easy for me. And I was, I keep saying I was at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And that's how I became a social work student. Yeah. Okay. And were your parents um, also passionate about social issues like you were? Um, no, not really. Not mm. really. They weren't. They wanted me to be a lawyer. <laughs> Everyone wanted me to be a lawyer. Everyone uh-huh. was like, Audrey, you would make a very good lawyer. Mm-hmm. You should be a lawyer. I was like, well, at that time I was like, well, there's a lot of studying with law. I don't right. think I want to uh-huh. study law. But then I was like... But then when I went into social science, I remember one of my father's friends telling me, um, social science is only good if you are a good storyteller. Ah. And, you know, and he got me. Uh I was like, what? I'm like the best storyteller. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So um, they were not very excited. People Uh weren't very excited. And even right now, when I tell people I'm a social worker. So one Mm -hmm. thing you should know is that social science and social work as a discipline in this country mm-hmm. is not is not very well um i can not accepted but it's not very well known hmm. so you tell people well i'm studying social work or i'm a social worker right now i let people know mm-hmm. I'm professionally i'm a social worker and then everybody goes like so what do you do do you mean you clean you clean the streets uh-huh. i was like uh-huh. how much money you earn from social work uh-huh. what is social work right nobody gets it nobody knows what a social worker yeah. is supposed to be doing yeah Mm. Okay, so as a social work mm. student, you started working with a mm-hmm. faith-based NGO called Life Skills Promoters as an attache. Yeah. What did your role entail? Yeah. What was your role? So my role entailed um, my role entra- entailed um, conducting field-based trainings. 
So primarily we were working with um, with with, gov with government schools. So we were go we were working with government funded schools in uh -huh. the environs of Nairobi okay. and outside Nairobi. So um, uh, underserved communities in Nairobi and the ones that were also outside of Nairobi. So what we would do is that we were working with um, young children between the ages of 10 to mm. around 14. Mm -hmm. And we were conducting, um, I was conducting, I should be saying I, mm -hmm. I was conducting behavior change communication trainings for these particular children. So what the behavior change communication training um, entailed was life skills training. Mm -hmm. So life skills is divided into three parts. Life skills of knowing yourself, life skills of, of um, life skills of knowing yourself, life skills of living um, with of understanding and living with other people mm -hmm. and life skills of making effective decisions. Mm -hmm. These are further subdivided into 16 life skills. So mm -hmm. out of these life skills, so we would go through life skills one by one out of all these. Um, so for the first one I had four, the second one had eight life skills and the last one had four life skills. So out of all of these four, um, um, three life skills, um, three, uh, three sublets of life skills, we had 16 others mm -hmm. and we would go through all of them and we would let young people know that some of the behaviors um, that you have can literally be turned around. So behavior change communication for you to be able to communicate effectively mm -hmm. with yourself and with other people so that you will not primarily fall into a place where you're going to you're going to to get HIV and AIDS. Mm -hmm. So what um what what studies had shown that so many young people um were, were had been infected with HIV and AIDS and they were being infected with HIV and AIDS in the country because um, because of some of um, because of some behaviors they had. So what what had to be done here is that change their behavior mm -hmm. so that they could acquire different behaviors and they would be able to now have life skills that would ensure that they are empowered to not only um, work with a lot of power but to also ensure that they are not they are not um, they are not engaging in uh, early early mm -hmm. sex for them to get HIV and AIDS. So wow. primarily that was the work I was doing. Okay. The training would take um, the training would take three. The mm -hmm. training would take three days. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to take two weeks. So the training would take three days. And um, after the three days, the, um, at 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 the at the targeted schools. Uh -huh. And then so what? So the trained children would now be peer educators who okay. would go now back to their classes to train the rest of the class on what they'd been trained. And then right. now they would be able to form family cells. At the family cells, um, books had been developed. Mm -hmm. um, life skills books had been developed where they would be able to continue learning and knowing what these skills are mm -hmm. and to, for them to just be able to, to not forget what it is that they'd learned. So the Got persons it. who, because we would not be present in the school mm -hmm. so now the guiding and counseling teachers in the schools would now be the ones who are working mm -hmm. with these um cells in, right. the, in the different schools okay yeah so from life skills promoters you joined the government of kenya with the children's department and went on to work for yes. neph ak Nep nephac which is yes um how what does it stand for and what was your work there um, it's the National Empowerment Network of Persons Living with HIV and AIDS in Kenya. Okay. Um, I, I I was at NEFAC for I was at NEFAC I was at NEFAC during my early years in my early career years. Okay. And um, the work primarily the, the work primarily dealt around advocacy. So I did a lot of advocacy around 
HIV and AIDS. There's a lot of advocacy around HIV and AIDS about mobilizing communities and working with the government to just ensure that persons who are living with HIV, um, the persons who are living with HIV, they are their concerns, mm -hmm. um, their concerns, their needs are actually being heard and actually being met. The okay. program that I worked directly with was um, was a women leadership program, uh -huh. and we were working with young women leaders so that they would be able. We, so um, primarily, we were, we were capacity building them for them to be able to speak up for themselves, for them to become leaders mm -hmm. and be able to speak mm -hmm. and be able to speak and. Um, and do a lot when it comes to advocacy and teaching and learning and even going further to not only um, grassroots advocacy mm -hmm. but also national advocacy and even international advocacy and this this particular program is literally what launched me into my work with women and girls because when i started working when when i worked with this program i realized that um, working with women for me is a space where I felt safe, is mm -hmm. a space where I felt that a lot of work needed to be done. Right. And this, um, it, it, it literally catapulted a lot of the work that I did because this is where it started. It was right. where I started doing my work with okay. women. Yeah. Okay. So you are yeah. the co-founder yeah. of Femicide Count Kenya, but it was originally created yeah. as Counting Dead Women Kenya. Can you tell me yes. the origin of Counting Dead Women Kenya before you know it became Femicide Count Kenya? This is a good story. This is a good story. So mm -hmm. um, in 2018, so December 2018, um, my friends and I, two, four of my friends and I decide that um, let's let's do a drive. Let's do a drive. Let's go to Nanyuki and we go to Nanyuki. And um, as we are sitting there, we are talking we, over cocktails. Mm -hmm. we, were, we were talking over cocktails um, and we we're talking about the issues that are going on. So this particular, one of the issues that was going on was um, the deaths of women that were happening in the country. Mm -hmm. And so we are having a conversation and um, two deaths, two deaths in particular had happened. And one was where, um, one was where a government official was involved and then wow. the other one was of a businesswoman, a very beautiful businesswoman who'd also been involved. Uh -huh. um, I want to mention their names. Mm -hmm. I want to mention their names. Yeah, so I want to mention their names. So um, the, the first one was Sharon Otieno, and she was a 26-year-old um, Rongo University student. And she was heavily pregnant by the time she was being killed. Wow. And the person who was person who had said to have killed her who was involved in her mother was a government official and this was a high level government official in the country because he was a governor he's not governor anymore his term has ended we've just we've just concluded our national elections this year wow. and um and 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 he was known to have murdered her and du during that particular time during her death i was working in this particular country a county not country but county i was working in that county in migori county Mm -hmm. this, was the, this was the county where she'd been killed. Mm -hmm. And I remember the conversations that were going around. Everybody was upset. The whole community, everybody I was speaking to was upset at the fact that um, this girl mm -hmm. was involved with a married man. That was what everybody was saying. What was she doing with a married man? How dare she be involved with a married man? Why did she not find somebody her own age? These were the conversations. And it was her fault that she died. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the second girl was... Um, was Monica Kimani. Monica Kimani was 29 year old. She was a 29 year old businesswoman, and she'd, you know, she'd she'd risen up in her business career, and she was doing a lot. She was working. 
she was transgressing between Sudan and Kenya and doing a lot of work. And again, the conversation was the same. Um, she, she must not have, it was not just business. Everybody was saying that there was something else she was doing. There was something else she was doing. She was involved with bad people again. Mm. making it look like it was her fault. Right. So as we sat there drinking these cocktails, one of our friends tells us of a girl that she went to primary school who was in an abusive marriage. And she had been in this marriage for so long. And the time she decides to walk out of the marriage, the time she decides to walk out of the marriage, that's, that, was, that was when everything um, goes haywire because she's walked out and she's gone back home. Mm -hmm. And then um, she's trying to just now figure her life out. Mm -hmm. And then so she says, um, as I'm figuring out my life, um, she tells her parents, one of the things that I'm going to do is I, I think I want to go back to my husband's house and collect the children's clothes, mm -hmm. um, especially their school clothes. So she had two children with her husband at the time. And so um, the girl decides to go. Um, she goes to her husband's house. She tells her husband she's coming and the husband says, okay. And she goes to his house and he, she gets to the house. He welcomes her very well. And then he locks the door inside oh, wow. and he gives her a serious beating. And he gives her a serious, like a, a good beating. And then when he's done with beating her, he was ready, even there with gasoline. Pours gasoline on her and sets her ablaze. Oh so gosh. it was, um, she was saved because he'd locked the house from the inside. And she had to really struggle to even had even the, even when the neighbors were coming to help, she had to really struggle to even get out of there. She eventually got to the hospital, but she died mm. with this. She died with um, she died because of the because of the burn bruises, right. and um, her husband at the time ran away. And you know, and we all sat there and we were shocked. Wow. And we're like, how many of these cases are happening and no one knows that it's happening? Right. So one of my friends, a very good friend, you should look her up, mm -hmm. Dr. Gathomi Gatweri. We are the co-founders of Counting Dead Women. Mm -hmm. We're like, um, we need to do something. So she says, can we do something? So Dr. Uh, Dr. Gathomi works in Australia. She um, She's a professor in Australia. Mm -hmm. And so she says, um, because she lives in Australia, she goes like, you know what? One of the things that I have seen in Australia is a page that literally counts the dead women. Mm -hmm. So, and she goes like, we can do something like this for Kenya. Mm -hmm. And um, so, because it was December that year, um, January, we link up, she'd gone now, she's, she was back in Australia and we link up and they're like, what should we do? So, and, and, and that's where, and, um, and we're like, yeah, let's start counting. Let's start picking up the number wow. of people, of persons who are dying right. in 10 days, 10 days. This is January and in 10 days, 10 women. 10 women and girls had died. Wow. So I was just putting down the numbers. 10 women and girls had died at that particular time. And I was like, wow. Mm. By the end of that particular year, this was now 2019. Mm -hmm. By the end of that particular year, 108 women had died. Wow. And then oh come 2020, gosh. we had 45 women who had died. Come to 2021, we had 56 women. The numbers are supposed to be going up. Looking at the rate of violence, the numbers go up. Mm -hmm. But because of the COVID, uh, because of the COVID uh, pandemic, the numbers did not go. The numbers did not go up because the focus was on COVID. So right. we were not able to report the number of women dying. One right. thing that I should let you know that the numbers that we were getting, we were getting them from our news stations. Mm -hmm. So we would take time to just go through newspapers, listen to new, listen to the news, so that we would be able to know. Um, mm. would be able to find out so what is going on what is happening and who has died right. um, which woman has died this particular time wow. and that is how counting dead women started so 
what prompted you to create Femicide Count Kenya? Um, one of the things, one of the things that prompted me to create Femicide Count Kenya was um, the fact that one, not many people know about femicides. Two, um, so many people um, are literally, so many women are dying because of intimate partner violence, which has led to, which is leading to femicides. And that is why, um, we, that is, that this is what literally prompted us to start Femicide Count Kenya. Yeah. Okay. Well, why do you think yeah. femicide is still so prevalent in Kenya? And what do you think needs to be done to change the way women are seen in Kenya or other countries where women are still treated like less than men? Um, femicides are prevalent. Femicides are prevalent in Kenya because of the fact that women are not, women are taken as, um, what can I say, um, as persons or as things that are not really cared for, uh, are taken for granted. Mm. That is my feeling. Okay. Because when you do research on femicides, when you do research on violence, mm -hmm. women are killed for, they're killed for absolutely no reason at all. Because yeah. even when we are doing the count, one of the things that women would be killed for, women would be killed for things like, oh, you know what? Um, you didn't make my dinner today. Um, then um, that, that, that would be a reason for you to die. Yeah. Um, you didn't, uh, I don't like the hairstyle. I don't like the hairstyle that you have put on tonight. So what is this hairstyle? And that would lead to someone's death. There's a woman who was killed because of the amount of money she was making um, yeah. against her partner. These uh -huh. are some of the reasons that women are dying. Mm -hmm. But even when you look at this and you look at it um, with regards to even the girls, you mm -hmm. know, it's because this person is a girl, because there are, there, there are cultural practices that are also making women be killed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. There are cultural practices that, that are leading to the deaths of women or that are leading to, the, to violence against women. Mm -hmm. And this basically is leading to their death. And for me, these are some of the reasons, Nikona, Mm -hmm. For me, some these are some of the reasons that literally mm -hmm. are leading to the deaths of women. That we do not have a national count. One, mm -hmm. we don't have, uh, we do not have a national count. Two, um, a lot, a lot is being done with regards to violence against women. But then again, even with this being done, um, the the a, a lot is a lot is being done with regards to violence against women. But then it's still not, it's not enough. Mm -hmm. It's not enough because it's not enough. Because wh why am I saying it's not enough? Because even with these interventions that are happening, the interventions are happening, but it feels like, um, it feels like, you know, the government is not in there, not doing its work. And because we are taking women for granted, then this basically means that women are dying. Mm -hmm. that, or that there has been so many deaths of women. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And do you think it's in, it has increased since the pandemic or we don't really have you don't really have an accurate account of that of the numbers? Um, violence, violence against women increased mm. by it increased by around 40 percent. So the violence that you are seeing was not the same thing. That was that, that was that the violence that was being seen before the pandemic uh -huh. is not the same thing that is being seen right now. So a lot more women were facing violence, basically meaning a lot more women mm -hmm. were going to die from violence, oh or a lot gosh. more women were dying from violence. Wow, that's oh my gosh. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so can you mention a time when you thought you had to do something that could affect your life and others? Obviously, 
counting dead women was one of them. Um, and has that basically, like, has that become your passion to keep going and, and to do more things for women? One of the things that we did was when, 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 um, when focusing on counting dead women, mm-hmm. there are five aspects or there are five aspects that we look at. So we look at child protection and safeguarding mm-hmm. because one of the things that we noted was that children were affected adversely by violence. And every time that we would report a case on femicide, so out of every three women that were reported mm-hmm. as women who died, the wow. fourth woman would die with her children or oh. the fourth death would be that of a child. So oh. basically... Um, children were dying as much as um, as much as um, as much as women were being killed. Oh so gosh. these two these two demographics or these two sort of people were dying. Uh-huh. The second thing that we wanted to look at was that we wanted to have advocacy on ending violence again. We wanted to do a lot of advocacy mm-hmm. um, on ending violence against women, and this is through community mobilization trainings, through, in community, through incorporating mm-hmm. different aspects mm-hmm. and through the empowerment of women and girls through education mm-hmm. and, fina- and, and, uh, and even empowering them financially. Because one of the things that um, one of the things that we have shown is that when women are empowered financially, when women are empowered edu- um, via, uh, financially, or they have an education, then instance of them facing violence goes down much higher than if they've not gone to school or if they do not um, they, or if they do not have any or if they do not have any financial power. So when these two are given, then their chances of them surviving or not facing violence goes much higher. Mm -hmm. The third thing that we wanted to look at was that we wanted to look at research. So Femicide Count focuses a lot on research and it focuses on Kenyan research Mm -hmm. and it also focuses on, it focuses on Kenyan Mm -hmm. and African informed research for us to be able to influence policy, Mm -hmm. for us to be able to influence school curriculums Mm -hmm. and university curriculums. This, and this will ultimately lead to the elimination of violence against women. Because if we influence, if we influence when policies are influenced then these policies are going to be when in when when policies are influenced policies are going to make a lot of changes in a country when curriculums are influenced this basically means that talking about violence against women is not going to be done only Mm -hmm. at um only at a time when violence has happened but it will start at the very beginning we are starting with children we are talking to young people that this is how violence happens. Mm-hmm. We'll be saying, you know, um, apart from apart from violence, or what what are some of the things that we can do to be able to ensure that women are not facing violence? Mm-hmm. What are some of the cultural practices that need to end right. for women to stop facing violence? Right. How can misogyny be broken so that women can stop being violated? Right. What um, how can we break patriarchy so that uh, violence does not happen anymore? Right. And then the other thing that we wanted to look at was organizational funding. So fund other women-led organizations. So going forward, is there someone you would credit for where you are now? Um, yeah, um, I would say this. That's that's not hard. I would say my daughter. I would credit her for that, um, because. I do this work because of her and because of all the other young girls, mm. and I credit I credit them for where I am, because um, I was I I became a mother um at a very early age, mm-hmm. so I was I was around seventeen, and by that time and just knowing that I had a daughter, I knew that a lot had to be done, and a lot of some a lot of the things that I've done a lot of my life 
has revolved around just knowing that because I'm a parent, because of the things that are going on around me, mm-hmm. I want that my life or the life of the persons around me is not the same, right. is, not, um, is, 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 is different. Mm-hmm. Like the next generation, so her generation, then the generation that will come after her is going to be a better generation. They'll be find a much better place and it's not going to be difficult. I love yeah. that. Thank you. Okay, so yeah. what yeah. are your, um, do you have any personal goals at the moment or is there something you haven't yet done that you would like to do? Mm, yeah, um, a few of the things, I'm doing a few of the things right now. Um, I'm, one of the things that I wanted to do was to lead an organization, which I am doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to be a board member. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to be a philanthropist. Um, I'd like to be able to spoil my nieces and nephews uh-huh. and grandchildren That's in the awesome. future if this, is, uh, if this is going to happen. Those right. are some of the goals. But when I look at the goals of the community, of the community that I'm, I'm involved in, right. I, I want to be a part of the change that conducts meaningful research um, when we talk about ending violence against women and girls ultimately. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to ensure that the, that the generation that does not protect and safeguard children ends with me. Mm-hmm. I feel that this particular generation that I'm living with, we do not protect, we do not take care of children. Yes. Like we, le- we just let so many things happen to them and I want to see that this ends with me. Right. And other than that, I would like to be a part, um, I'd like to raise a lot of funds. Mm-hmm. I'd like to raise um, a million dollars in funds when it comes to research and programming. And this will be in research and programming when it comes to ending violence against women and girls. I love yeah. that. I love that. So, um, what is so? If there's anyone who wanted to learn more about femicide count Kenya, um, how would they go about it? Um, they would. Um, they would need to follow us on our social media pages. Um, that is one of the ways. So we have an Instagram page. Mm-hmm. Um, this is femicide.ke. We have a Twitter page that we call at Dead Women um, under Kenya. We have a Facebook page called Counting Dead Women Kenya. We have a LinkedIn page that um, is um, called Femicide Count Kenya. And then we also have a website. Um, the website is where you'll see us doing most of our work. Um, it's, it's where you'll see our count happening. Is where you'll see um, the involvement in the advocacy work that you're doing. And that is what the website is doing. Um, at the website, you'll also realize that there's a tab where you are able um, you can, as as um, you, you are able to not only report, but you're able to report to us um, a death of somebody um, that was oh, not known really? nationally or is not in the news. Right. So you'll be able to report. Um, the That's other great. thing that I would say that you can, yeah, um, yes, um, the other thing that I could say that you can support us in is that um, research requires funding. So feel free to send us donations. Um, Feel, feel free to send us donation. Um, that is one way of supporting us mm-hmm. um, so that the work will be able to grow and that we, and, and also please note that we are constantly looking for volunteers to be able to also still do this work. Um, the information, especially the information on the website and on the Facebook page are primarily around the count. Mm-hmm. However, um, you'll be able to interact with us more if you go on our Instagram pages and um, our Twitter pages. So you'll be able to interact more and you'll be able to learn a lot more of things when it comes to violence. Um, there are fun things there. There are fun things there that you'll be able to see, um, things that will make your day. Mm. Um, these are some of the ways that you'll be able to interact with us. So okay. our, inter- our Instagram page, I have to say, is, is, is very lively. Mm. And it's, these are all of the ways that you can be able to interact with us. 
Awesome. Great. So is there anything you'd mm. like to say to the listeners? Mm. Um, let me see. Um, what would I like to say to the listeners? Um, yes, there's something that I'd like to say. This for me is information that I believe should every woman should have. So before a case escalates to before a case escalates to femicide, so some of the things that you should look out for. Um, just, I just, um, just so you know, I talk a lot about violence against women and mm-hmm. girls, maybe because it's also the fact that I do. But look at um, look at subtle acts of disrespect, for instance. What is the, what is your partner's tone, their behavior, their actions? Um, does this person feel entitled to your time, your money, your affection, and your body? Um, do they actually threaten you with violence? Um, and these are these are these are simple things. Like one day I will kill you. Mm-hmm. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. For all of the women that we have reported, mm-hmm. there was a threat, and you will see that their family says, right. um, "You know what? Um, we didn't think it would come to this." We didn't think he was a very nice person. And he would say things like, I will kill you one day, but we didn't think it would come to this. Right. But it usually comes to that. Right. Um, uh, um, look out for things like, um, do they try to chip off at your self-esteem mm. and self-confidence? Saying things like, no one is ever going to love you. No one is ever going to be there for you like I am there for you. Mm. No one will do the things that I do for you. You're never going to find someone like me. Right. Things like that, keeping away with yourself. You think that I am not because teaching away at your self-esteem that you as a person you think I'm not capable I'm not able to do this by by myself so I will not leave mm. I will be in a violent relationship but I will not leave because someone has chipped away at your self-esteem look right. at things like um are they incapable of taking no for an answer is this person taking no for an answer have you told them no are they taking it or are they insisting that you know this is the way that things need to go and then um are they persons who try and isolate you from friends and families and then also paint your family and friends as really bad people mm-hmm. um, and you know they do this in light subtle ways do they do it uh, do they do it do they just want you to be in this in, in the same space as them all the time right. so look out for this these right. are some of the things that you can look out for and you will know that you are in trouble um, look out for these things and before it escalates to femicide you will be able to literally um, save your own life yeah. right. thank you so yeah. what can yeah. you say? And then um, maybe, maybe I'll just, I, I'll, I'll also want to add that um, women are, are mostly killed by men they know. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important for us to stay safe. Yeah, yeah for sure. So mm. what can you say to young people who would like to get involved with um, Femicide Count Kenya? I would say that this is the best time to get involved with the organization. Um, we are strategically placing ourselves. We are growing. We are learning. So this is basically the same. T- and this is the best time. So you will because you'll have an opportunity to be. You 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 have an opportunity for us to to be accepting of young people's ideas. What ideas do you have to bring on board that we can use? Um, you will have an opportunity to support other young people because as a young people, we'll be able to bring other young people on board. Mm-hmm. We'll be able to use everyday situations to solve challenges. This is sometimes, for me, I feel like this is sometimes one of the best way to work. To work. And then we'll also be looking out for activities that you have been involved um, in before. And these activities will be good to just plug in into some of the work that you are doing. Mm-hmm. We'll be giving young people a voice and we'll be able to plan for both short-term and long-term projects in the long run. Oh, I love yeah. that. These are some of the things that I can say. Yes. That's great. So if you had one thing to change that you wish you had done years ago, what would it be? 
um, to be rid of my uh, anxious mind. I would want to be rid of my anxious mind. Um, I'd want to be ready and um, cognizant that um, having difficult conversations need to be needs to be done and I would be having them promptly and doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yes, and also be rid of the fear that I have within. These are some of the things that have held me back mm-hmm. as a person. So if I was to read, the, read myself of them, I know... Um, if I was to read of, uh, if I was to read myself of them before or in my past, I know that I'd be very far. Yeah. Right. And the last question mm-hmm. is, if you could go back in time, what advice would you give your younger self? Take one day at a time. It's not that serious. Mm-hmm. Just take one day at a time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Take one day at a time. Everything is going to work out as it's supposed to work out. Right. Well, Audrey, thank you so much for being on the show and um, for all the work that you're doing with Femicide Count Kenya. I wish you so much luck with your initiatives, and and I do hope that the count goes down, keeps going down. You know, I know there's a lot of work to do still, um, but, you know, I'm sure with your work and other people's involvement, I hope it does decrease as opposed to keep increasing. Um, But thank you so much for, for giving me your time and for being so generous with with your time um, coming on the show, but I wish you so much luck, and and um, I will keep in touch, and uh, I will speak with you soon. Have a good day, have a good night. Have a good day, teachers. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Audrey Mugheni Mumuli on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Women on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note, I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman.com. 